following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Good morning, church. Praise God for you. Thankful to get to stand and praise our Savior with you this morning. I'm Pastor Vince. I do most of the Bible teaching here, and uh, I will today. Uh, the rest of this series as we move through will be uh, some other folks, which I'll explain in a minute. But uh, I am the, the lead teaching and vision pastor here at Love City Church, uh, if you didn't know that. And uh, I have the great honor and privilege of teaching God's Word in this gathering today. So a uh, couple things I want to let you know. First thing, uh, if you have a Bible and you're going to turn with me, go to 1 John chapter 4. Okay, That's where we're going to camp out today, 1 John 4. Uh, as you're turning there, a few things uh, to let you know. First of all, at the end of this series, which will be May 23rd, uh, we're going to do a water baptism. Okay, so that's pretty exciting. You should clap for that. Amen. It's been a long time. Uh, yeah, we've been really trying to be thoughtful and careful and strategize around how to do that safely and well. And as things are progressing, uh, we feel like we're, we're hitting the place where we, we can do that. So uh, we'll have sign-ups and ways for you to uh, get more info on that soon. Just wanted to kind of drop that out there. Uh, be the first to pop confetti before you got it on the internet. Amen? Uh, so what's going on today? Today we're continuing our series. It's called Testify. And as I said earlier, most of this series is going to be preached by other brothers who have uh, a desire to teach the Word and have also shown themselves faithful in selflessly serving the church family here, enough to be trusted with the great privilege of teaching them uh, the word. So the premise of this series is that each of us that are preaching, we pick a scripture or scriptures that have had a significant impact in either drawing us to Christ or in showing us how to follow him faithfully. Okay, so that was the assignment. And originally, uh, as we kind of conceptualized this whole thing, I was going to sit this series out all together. Uh, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that there was no way I was going to pass up the chance to talk about how the love of God conquered my heart and brought me to saving faith in King Jesus the Merciful. Uh, it also worked out great because we were back there with a scratch pad trying to figure out the schedule and this hole opened up, and it wasn't working for anybody else. And I said, you know what? I know a guy. Slid right in there week three, amen? All right. Uh, and, and, and I want to say this. I'm just, there's going to be a lot of sharing my, my heart today, which I'm excited to do. Uh, in some ways, I feel like the little drummer boy at times. And, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that. I, I believe that God rescues and redeems people from all different backgrounds and circumstances, and he does this to the praise of his glorious grace. But what this leads to then, at least one of the things it leads to, is different angles and emphasis when it comes to how we see our Father and, and what we understand about his word. Some of what he brought you out of or through is going to affect kind of what angle you're standing at as you look at him. Right? Does that make sense? And, and, and I believe that, that the love of God is, is the drum 
that he handed me. And I'm just telling you, I'm going to barump-a-bump-bump this thing for all the days that he sees fit to let me breathe and be on mission in his world. And so I realize for some of you maybe that uh, have been running with me a long time, uh, you'll have heard some of this, but I'm not going to stop saying it. This is my drum, okay? And we have a sermon series that allowed me a hole to to beat on my drum. So (laughs) you ready? Just bounce to the rhythm, all right? It's going to be fun. Amen? But Pastor Vince, you don't have rhythm. I know. That's not really going to come into play. That was all just an example, okay? Everyone relax. Uh, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some scripture with you today that has been, this is not an overstatement, monumental in my formation as a Jesus follower. And and as I share some of my testimony, I hope the reasons why it's been monumental will connect for you as clearly as they do for me. That's, that's really what I'm trying to do today. Okay, so I hope you turn to 1 John. If you don't have a Bible with you or an app, we will have the verses on the screen. Uh, and always remember, if you don't own a Bible, one of our favorite things to do is give those out for free. So see someone in the Connect Center afterwards. We'll hook you up, okay? So 1 John 4... That's towards the back of the book, if you're still looking, okay? Uh, If you hit Revelation, you went too far. 1 John 4, and we're going to read verses 7 through 21 together, okay? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, Hear this, saints. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Praise God for his word. Now, I want to say this first before I really get cracking. I, I had read these scriptures. I had seen these scriptures early on in life, but I didn't, 
I didn't really understand what they meant until the Lord orchestrated some events that opened the eyes of my heart to begin to see their meaning. Okay? And you might be thinking, look, buddy, what does eyes of the heart mean? Did you get that from a Disney movie? You got a sweater vest on? What did I step into today? Uh, that's a biblical term. Okay? The Bible, in trying to help us understand what it means to be able to understand spiritual things and connect with the deep beauty of who God is, it talks about the eyes of the heart. Okay? So I got that from the Bible. That didn't come from Bambi. All right? Amen. But, but that's what happened. There was, there was events that begin. So what I'm saying is I, I, I had seen these, but then understanding partially came through just, just walking through some life and God making these intersections happen that helped me to understand. Okay, so um, I just want you to know the first time I said, I, it wasn't, my, my testimony isn't I read these verses and fell down on my knees and pledged my life to Christ. Okay, that's, that's not what happened, but the more I've understood, the more I've walked with God, the, the, the louder these verses yell at me <laughs> and help me, okay? So I also you know, realize I perhaps will never fully grasp all of their beauty. Um, in anticipation of the fact that I might get a little excited today, uh, Josh, can we, can we bring this down just a notch? It feels a little hot to me, so thank you, man. Um, I just, I just know I'm excited about the scriptures today. So, you know, that's a gift from me to your eardrums. Amen. Okay. So, here's, here's my story. <clears throat> my mother was rather young uh, when she had me. There was life circumstances that uh, put her in some very difficult spots. And so, um, she made the very hard, but I would say the right decision uh, when she had me to give me up for adoption. And she did that uh, and gave me up for adoption to her father, so my grandfather, all right? Uh, and, and I want to say this real quick, just because it's pertinent. Uh, my mom had <clears throat> a lot of very difficult circumstances that led to other very difficult circumstances, and then, and then I came into the picture. Uh, but God, in his great mercy, uh, has grabbed a hold of my mama's heart, and she loves the Lord very much. Um, and I think that's witnessed by the fact that she's spent the last three years sacrificing the entirety of, of her life and dreams and whatever she's doing, moved away from all of her kids to take care of my great-grandmother, uh, who is battling dementia. And so my mom um, is in this story, and but I, I want you to know that her story of redemption kind of intertwines with mine in a way that you can't really pull apart. So Anyways, just want to make sure I say that. But things were tough starting out. And so she gave me for adoption to her dad. And her dad was married to a, his second wife. Okay, so this was not my biological grandmother. But these two people, my grandfather and this woman, I'm going to leave a lot of names out of this because there's really <clears throat> wild stuff that happened throughout some of it. And it's just better left not messed with, and this goes on the internet. So um, this, this woman and, and my granddad raised me as, as if I was their son. I didn't know any different until I was uh, seven or eight years old. But uh, those, <clears throat> those first years were difficult. They, there was a lot of physical abuse. My granddad 
worked for the movie studios. He was a teamster, so that meant he drove trucks around and moved movie sets and all kinds of stuff. I, I got to meet uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger one time, which was pretty cool. Um, Heather Locklear also kissed me on the cheek one time. I don't know who that, if that means anything to anybody, but if, if you know, you know. So anyways, uh, I was a wee little tyke, uh, but apparently cute enough for her to, you know, give me a peck on the cheek. So hallelujah. Um, he wasn't around much. That meant a lot of times he was off on studio sets and whatever. And so there's a lot of difficulty. And the, the woman who was raising me, I, I have come to understand, probably suffered from, uh, maybe some, some various mental health struggles. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, but there was some issues at play. And so <clears throat> there was a lot of physical abuse. Um, and that was, that was difficult, obviously. There was, and I could, I could stand here all day and, and give you examples, but that's not really the point. There's, there's two that really kind of move the narrative along and are important later. So the first, there's a particular <clears throat> instance where as a young man, I don't know, uh, young kids do this. I, I was probably um, six, maybe almost seven at this point, and uh, got, got too busy playing or whatever happened, but just, just dumped my pants. <laughs> so, uh, and that's annoying for parents, but I, I took it a step further and took, I, I had a um, lightly like, cream-colored carpet in my bedroom, and I guess I you know, took the undies off and just sat down and kind of like scooted myself. I saw the dogs do it in the yard. And uh, made a line across the whole thing. And so that, what you know, kids, right? They're great. Uh, so that happened. And <clears throat> when, uh, when she came in, she picked me up by the throat and pinned me to a dresser. And apparently, and this, some of this I'm getting is secondhand narrative uh, as it was retold, but held me there until I turned blue and passed out. And then she dropped me in a crumple on the floor. I know that she thought she had perhaps killed me because she called a family member, I later found out, and, and said that. So <clears throat> I, I remember now waking up and crawling to the center of the floor and <clears throat> looking up at the ceiling and shaking my fist and, and crying and, and screaming at whatever my perception of God was at that point. I couldn't tell you where it came from. Well, we were not a part of a church in that time in my life, I had, nobody was teaching me about Jesus, so it was TV or, <clears throat> I don't know, vague references here and there, I'd picked up the idea that, that there was a God to yell at, and I, I was shaking my fist at him and, and screaming, why me? And then, in, in my little mind, I'm thinking, you know, there's no way other kids at school have to deal with this, which of course is untrue, but that, that was, I felt... <clears throat> I felt slighted, I felt uncared for, unloved, and I was screaming at God about it. And then the craziest thing happened. I, for years, I didn't remember that. Somehow my brain blocked it out. It's very weird, but it happened. There's one other event that ties in later, and that's, uh, it was after that initial, well, that wasn't the initial, it was just maybe one of the biggest <clears throat> there was another event where I was, I, I had a, a, an adopted brother who was smaller than me. And uh, as brothers do, we were tussling and fighting one day. And uh, this was, if you're trying to place this in a timeline of history, this is when Power Rangers was very big on TV. Okay, so now do you know where we're at? Power Rangers was a big deal. And I was also, uh, <clears throat> at that stage, 
perhaps a purple belt in Kempo Karate, so feeling myself when it came to, you know, the moves. And so anyways, we're tussling and whatever, and, <clears throat> and I need him in the stomach. My little brother knocked the wind out of him. And uh, the woman that was my adopted mother came in and <clears throat> proceeded to then grab me and knee me in the stomach. And she was not a little lady. And uh, it, it hurt me pretty bad, dropped me, and I was on the ground for a while. And then my granddad came in the room, got the idea of what was happening. They walked away and began to fight about that incident. She comes in a few minutes later, and I'm still on the ground trying to recover. And she says, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, your dad and I are getting a divorce now, and it's your fault. And, uh, you know, I believed her, <laughs> right? I mean, when you're little like that, what, what else can you do? So <clears throat> lots of other issues and, and things happened there, but then the problem is they did get a divorce, which is also a bummer, pretty short order after that. And so uh, I ended up <clears throat> moving into uh, a trailer park in the mountains with my granddad, which was dangerous in some ways, but I had a lot of fun too. I just ran around the mountains like a little wild kid and uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool. But uh, he, he remarried rather quickly to a woman that, that, believe it or not, had probably more severe issues than the first. Um, not not going to go into great detail with, with that other than to say uh, there was <clears throat> like there was black magic stuff happening, um, candles with, you know, curses and spells and stuff, and she was casting hexes on me and my brother and weird stuff, man. Um, that, and I can't even totally explain what all was driving her, but some very, very strange, weird things happened. And uh, all of that, cumulatively, brought me to a point by the age of, of nine or so, eight or nine, um, I, I remember the event, but I couldn't tell you how old I was exactly. But I remember this, this kind of calculation finally running in my little head that if, <clears throat> if I just hate people, if I just hate everybody and refuse to trust anybody, then nobody can hurt me anymore. And I remember really thinking that through as a kid and being like, oh yeah, that's my solution. I had a fifth grade teacher tell me, pull me aside and say, I'm really worried about you. You're, you're just dark. And she was right. <laughs> she was 100% right. I, I got really dark. I got really mean and really angry. And that was just how I operated. Of course, it was a defense mechanism. I understand that now. But I didn't know that then. I just knew it was working. Or I felt like it was working. And then, God in his great sovereign providence used the mental instability of that now second woman that was caring for me and abusing us in different ways, her hate for us was so much that she had concocted a plan to try to get me sent to military school. Uh, she had photocopied some of my granddad's check stubs and hid them in my room. And then my little brother went and found them and pulled them out. And there was this whole to, de to do. And I remember sitting there thinking, and I, I couldn't have been, I, must, I was 10 at this point. I remember sitting there thinking as a 10-year-old, <clears throat> I'm not a genius here, but where did I get access to a photocopier? I don't know. That's probably a solid question. Two, what am I doing with check stubs <laughs> at 10 years old? But they called the cops. 
sat me in the back of a cruiser. It was a whole thing, man. I just, it, and I remember watching it all play out, just like, this is bizarro world. What is happening? And anyways, that was all part of trying to get me uh, something on record so that she could send me off to military school and get rid of me, which I was like, run it. You know what I mean? As soon as they started talking about it, I'm like, look, I'll pack. Let's go. Where is it at? I'm all for military school. Let's do it. But thankfully, <laughs> and that would so take a kid as angry as I was and put him in military school, that's a recipe for disaster. I probably would have been an excellent <laughs> weapon of warfare and not much else. Uh, but instead, because that didn't work, my granddad just couldn't quite pull the trigger on that, thankfully. She got a hold of my mom, my biological mom, who for 10 years at this point had been praying uh, the whole time to get me back. And so she orchestrated uh, driving me down to LAX and sticking me on a plane. I flew to Kansas City. And my great-grandparents, the grandmother who now my mother's taking care of, and also my great-grandfather, Marnie and Roberta Marquis. Aren't they cute just from their names? Say that they're cute. Marnie and Roberta Marquis. That's right. I need more head nodding out there. Don't say, me and Ryan will tell you, man, you can talk bad about you know, a lot of people. Don't say nothing about Grandma Marquis, man. It's a quick way to eat your teeth, all right? She's an angel. Um, they were the ones, my, my great-grandmother was actually a Mormon. She also practiced witchcraft at times, uh, and God gloriously saved her. My granddad was an alcoholic for a long time. Uh, God just miraculously saved him after a terrible car crash where he should have died. And so these two were kind of the first in the family line that had really started to follow Jesus. And just so happens, they're the ones that picked me up in Kansas City. And they took me to their home, which is in Indianola, Iowa. It's right in the middle of Iowa. Raise your hand if you know where Indianola, Iowa is, if that means anything to you. Almost nobody, that's right. It's about 13 miles south of, of Des Moines, so a little bitty college town. And so, that, and so December, they got me off the plane and, and brought me there. And December 15th, 1995, was the first time I ever remember being brought to a gathering of God's people. It was at Indianola Assembly of God. I remember a couple things. They had carpet that was almost neon red. And I didn't know you could have neon red, but it was very red. It was, it was an intense red, like, like a lit up exit sign almost. Like, like the carpet was battery powered somehow. It was amazing. I remember that distinctly. And I remember, I remember they sang nothing but the blood. And I, I had no idea what was going on. I remember sitting there as a little kid going, why are they singing about blood? This is so weird. And the only other thing I remember is that the pastor at the end gave an invitation for people to come forward. And I don't think at that point I really knew what I was responding to, but I do believe that the Spirit of God started a work in me that day. And as time went on, uh, there, was, there was challenges in, in the new living situation as well. Um, you know, blended family stuff and just difficulties, man. But, um, and, we, and we, as a family, we, uh, <clears throat> we were part of a church. Didn't make it uh, as often as probably would have been helpful. But 
when I was 12, the, uh, for some reason, the, the, the children's pastor in the church we were part of really just took a liking to me. And uh, when I was 12, and that was the last year I'd have been able to go, he reached out to my mom and said uh, he believed the, the Lord had told him to pay for me to go to camp and asked if I could go, if they did. And that was the only way I was going to go because we weren't coming up with money to go to camp. That's kind of just so you get a sense of the socioeconomic situation that was going on. Uh, so they did that, and I went to camp. And <clears throat> something happened there that was really formative and, and shaped me. There were, the counselor, his name was Ryan, <clears throat> he I don't know. The Spirit of God must have prompted him. Somehow he saw that I needed someone to, to be my friend. You know, the, the years from being out in California and then coming to Illinois, so I'm, I'm in, with my adopted grandfather and I'm with my, my mom. There, in that time period, I believe God was beginning a work and some of, that, some of that darkness was being drawn out, but man, I, I promise you it was still there. In a lot of ways, I was acting. In a lot of ways, I, I just got better at faking on the outside so that nobody asked me about what was going on, on the inside. I went to camp, and, and my life was, was creased just from the kindness and, and, and the love I was shown from some genuine Christian folks. And that kind of plant, that planted a seed in my heart. And so I, I from that point on, was interested in, in maybe going back and, and working there. And so that opportunity came when I was 16. This is Camp Dry Gulch in Tulsa, Oklahoma. All right, so uh, went down there to work. They trained us. You know, there was a week of orientation, all that, and then it's time. It's time to get kids. And uh, I was nervous. I had never managed a bunk of fifteen to twenty kids before, and so you know, it's like, all right, Lord, I know I'm going to need your help. Trying to be prayed up and and enroll my kids into the bunk. Every single one of them. Oh, let me, let me just say this. The, the, so the place that I, I lived in Southern California until I was 10, then had the culture shock of moving to Western Illinois right on the Mississippi River from like basically LA to a town of 4,000 surrounded by cornfields, okay? So that was different. And then, and so now I'd been there from 10 to 16. So now I've, I've kind of, I've taken on the persona of kind of a, you know, corn-fed Iowa boy, right? That's, and I'm, you know, pale and all of that. So that's, that's who I am, all right? So just so you have my cultural context going into the next piece of information I'm going to give you. So that's me. In comes my bunk of kids, every one of them from inner city Detroit. Every one of them little black boys. And I almost panicked because I knew from a cultural contextualization and being able to relate to them standpoint I look like this husky white hillbilly from Illinois that's not going to understand a dang thing they're going through. Big culture differences. I mean, so they come into the bunk. For some reason, I didn't have my belt on. I remember this distinctly. It was, it was on my bunk. And somehow, within 10 minutes, these kids were so crafty, my belt was gone, and I never saw the belt again. I don't know where it went. It's gone. But they, they were... I mean, just full of energy and, and clearly like trying to figure out what they were going to get away with with me. And it's like, oh man, I don't know how this is going to go. But as I started to interact with them, I started to talk to them, started to hear them talk to each other. 
started to get little bits of their stories. I realized, man, these kids are just like me. These kids got a bunch of pain and brokenness, man. These kids are hurting bad. I could see it. And I could see it because I'd lived it. And within a half hour, 45 minutes, they would always come in right before dinner. And then by the time we left for dinner, which couldn't have been a 45 minute span, they had tied a white handkerchief on my head and given me a rapper name. It was Snowflake. That's the God's honest truth. I didn't get to pick my rapper name. <laughs> and these kids were so talented, man. They'd break pencils into little pieces and they'd hold them in there. I can't even know how they did it. And, and they could make beats with these little pencil pieces. And we just, we rapped and laughed and had the most incredible time hanging out at camp together. And every night we would pray with the kids and in the process of, of getting to know them and looking in their eyes and seeing their pain and struggle and understanding that though some of the circumstances around those things may have been different, the pain was the same and they, they needed the same thing I did, which was for someone to love me. Up, up to that point, I believe, I, I can look back now and see in hindsight, I, I can see how the waves of God's love had been crashing against the rock of my heart. But it was then, it was that bunk of boys right there that broke it. And I loved them. Like, really. And it changed me forever. And I'm so thankful for the way God does stuff. <laughs> I couldn't have planned that out. I, if you'd asked me, hey, how do we solve this issue inside of you, man, this darkness that your fifth grade teacher saw, I couldn't have come up with an answer. But Jesus set me up, man. He put me right in the spot I needed to be with people I would have I never picked because I'd have been scared and I had feelings of inadequacy or whatever. And, he, and, the, and the, I, I can remember the moment when that last wave hit and that, that wall just broke. And I loved those boys. And we spent the rest of the week, it was, it was incredible uh, what God did in their lives in that time. And, and then a month or so later, <clears throat> I had made a, a really good friend there. His name's David. He's from New Zealand. He's still a dear friend of mine. And uh, we were bunk mates, so his bunk and my bunk were right next to each other. And he had a boy come to camp that had, uh, was clearly sad, and it came, it came time at, at night to pray, and my buddy said, hey, man, well, what's bothering you? And he said, uh, well, just before I came to camp, I found out my parents are getting a divorce, and it's my fault. And so David, his mother and father are pastors in New Zealand. Uh, you know, that brings its own set of challenges, of course, but hadn't, he hadn't gone through anything like that. And so we traded bunks and uh, called another guy in to help us, and, and that allowed me the opportunity to walk with that little guy, take him outside, sit down next to him, and just speak hope and life to him, love on him, assure him that there's no possible way, man, that this is your fault. Talk to him from my experience. And, um, you know, the next thing I'm about to describe to you is there's controversy about whether <laughs> theologians and whatever like to argue about whether this is even possible today. Uh, I mean, 
If that's where you want to go with this, that's fine. I'm just telling you, it's too late for me because it happened. So uh, as I was sitting there talking to him and encouraging him, it was like all at once, you remember that memory I told you was repressed where I had gone to the middle of the floor and I was screaming at God and asking him, why me? Why do I have to go through this? When I, if, From my perspective, it didn't seem like any other little kids had to go through this. Why me? Like all at once, that memory unlocked in my brain and it was almost like I could look at it happening and at the very same time, I'm not telling you I heard an audible voice from heaven, but God, however he does it, made it real clear to me, this is what he was saying. This is why. And that, you know, that's just my story. That didn't happen to you. So maybe that's not enough for you, but for me, that was enough. That was enough for me to say, okay, I'm not going to shake my fist at you anymore. I got it. I understood what he was saying. I understood, and, and that changed my perspective to be able to look back and see how, even though I went through very difficult things, that his hand was always upon me. That there was a purpose in, in that process. And I was, so, I was legitimately thankful, friends, whether you, you can believe this if you want to or not, I was legitimately thankful in that moment for the particular pain point of having gone through what I went through around being guilted by my own parents' divorce so that I could speak to this little boy who was struggling today with the very same issue. I could speak to him with confidence on the matter. I was so thankful for it. And I know, I know it's hard for that to be the reaction, but I think it's right. And, and I'm not asking you to believe this principle God shared with me that day because God shared it with me that day. Really, all he was saying to me was what's already been said in his word, which is that he works all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Is that right or is that wrong? I mean, that's, how, that's one way you know whether or not what you think you're hearing from the Lord is the Lord. Because if it, if it doesn't line up with his word, chuck that out, right? Your sour cream's out of date in the fridge, Throw it away. You have botulism. The Lord didn't speak to you, okay? If it doesn't line up with the word, chuck it. But what I'm saying to you is, until I had that experience with that bunk of boys, there was no way I could understand what 1 John 4, 7 through 21 was trying to say to me. It was too dark in here. I didn't, I had no idea even what, I mean, you know, writers try to be really creative with their language and not use repetitive words. I mean, I do the same thing as I'm writing sermons or whatever. John was not worried about it. This brother said the word love a bunch of times in this text, didn't he? I could feel you as I was reading it, like, boy, that's repetitive. It doesn't, look, man, you don't have to be flowery. You don't have to be cute. You don't, this, this I'm talking about, man, this is deep. This is as deep as it gets right here. It, it, it don't need no help. This is what it's about. The love of God. Amen. Not only did I have that encounter with those boys from Detroit and the little fellow and that experience with the Lord as I was ministering to him, Dry Gulch also happened to be where I met Natalie. And uh, I still remember the first time I saw her. She was, so this camp we were at was set up like a western town. 
pretty cool. And it had like a main street thing. And then if you're heading up to the, the uh, dining hall, you know, you're on, you're on the main drag. And the girls' bunks were off on either side of this main drag. And I remember she was stepped down a couple steps off of a porch. And it was morning. The sun was coming up behind her. How many of you know the, uh, the show Touched by an Angel? You know what I'm talking about? So every time an angel shows up, there's like that, right? She had like, at that time, her hair was a lot lighter. There was like some blonde in it because we were in the sun a lot. And uh, it, was, it was like these soft curls. She'd probably like been in the lake or the pool. So it wasn't really done, but it was, it was something, man. And, and I'm just saying like, so right, this God begins to unlock my heart's ability to perceive and understand and, and like engage with the reality of love. And, and then he also let me meet Natalie, which was really interesting because she also chose to love me. And then the first time she saw me, I, I was, a, I was a, a pleasantly plump fella with very fuzzy hair wearing a puka shell necklace uh, and not really very sure like who I was or, you know, what I was supposed to be doing. So um, she, man, I think the Lord, you know, messed with her eyes a little bit or something to get things started. And, and, and I had, I had, I mean, I had to work hard to get her too, you know, because she's real pretty and I wasn't very pretty. So, uh, and, and, and what I'm saying is, as I, as I begin to understand love, like, and, and as I begin to build a relationship with her, for the first time in my life, I just really wanted to, I cared so much about her being happy. Like my primary thought process wasn't thinking about what I was going to get out of this thing. I just, I really liked to see her smile. So I would do dumb stuff. Like I'd break rules at camp, at risk of getting thrown out. I would, I would sneak over to the girls' bunks like, like a fat little white ninja, sneak in between buildings and stuff. And I would, and I, like I would go pick flowers in the woods and roll them up in a note. And, and like legit, they'd be, they'd be leaving for an activity or something. And I'd be like rolling and stuff to get in the door and then like leave a, Leave, just to leave a flower with a note. I left one one time that said, it just said gorgeous, but I spelled it wrong. And then she called me out. That's the other thing about Natalie. She's never been afraid to tell me the truth. And that's part, part, obviously part of what I needed. Um, I, spent, I spent basically the entirety of what I was going to, we didn't get paid much because you're, you know, room and board and it's ministry. So, you know, whatever. We didn't get paid much. I, like, I spent basically the entirety of what I made that summer to buy her a uh, Canon Rebel 2000, which in the year 2002 was quite the big deal when it came to SLR digital photography. And uh, I'm just saying all of that, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to give. I wanted to bless her. I wanted her, I wanted to see her smile and I wanted to be part of the reason. I started, what I'm telling you is, for the first time in my life, instead of spending most of my mental and emotional energy maintaining a wall between me and people for safety, I begin to really understand the essence of love, which is caring far more about how others are doing and pouring myself out in order to care for them. And what I found out is I could have, ne- I could have never... You could have told me this and I wouldn't have understood it unless I experienced it. As I begin to pour myself out to try to love and bless others, I started feeling myself filling. Like, wow. 
what? It, it, worked, it worked way different than I would have expected. But then, as I begin to grow in understanding of the word of God, oh, what do you know? He said that would happen. Amen. And so, and then, now that I'm married, down the road of peace, he grants me the great gift of, of two children, and, and he's given me a church family to love and care for, and the lesson continues, is what I'm saying. Uh, and, and it's not a lesson I'm trying to get away from. It's one that I'm, I'm throwing myself into uh, for the rest of my life, because I'm convinced. I'm convinced that um, when the Bible says God is love, that that is, is so big and so mysterious and so important that I can't, I can't ever think about it too much. And when Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is and he says to love God and love people, I'm, I'm just convinced that I, I won't overdo that. I can't overthink that. I can't give too much of myself to that. And maybe some of it comes from the reality that I, I, I lived on the other end of the spectrum. You know, hate was my blanket. It's, it's what I thought was keeping me safe. Come to find out, it can't. And maybe you're still dealing with some of that today. And can I just say to you, it won't work. Short term, yeah, it seems like it does. But long-term, man, it'll kill you from the inside. It's like drinking poison instead of taking your vitamin, man. There's, there's a consequence down the road. It might not show up right away. Amen. Let me work through these verses with you real quick. I won't take long. Just a couple things out of this, okay? So that's, that's my story. That's what causes me to be the little drummer boy holding the drum of God's love, okay? Um, but let's, let's just take a minute to, <clears throat> to deal with one one trillionth of what could be found in, in these 14 verses, okay? So the first thing we see, uh, one who does not love does not know God. This is verse 8. For God is love. What does that mean? Okay, that's, that's an incredible statement. And you might think, well, yeah, no, maybe, maybe John just got excited and wrote that because like theologically that's even problematic. Okay, I don't know if you understand why or not, but it is. It's like, what? How, how, are, you, how are you saying God is love? That doesn't seem to fit. But here's what I do know for sure. This wasn't a mistake. This wasn't just that John got excited and was real amped up and so scribbled this down because he said it again in verse 16. Okay, so eight verses later, he didn't say God is love once, he said it twice. In the span of 14 verses, okay? He knew what he was saying, okay? May I remind you, this is John the Apostle, one of the three closest to Jesus, all right? One of the guys that got brought up for the transfiguration, one of the guys that got invited in to some healings that other, all the rest of the apostles, like, you guys stand outside, you three, in here with me. With Jesus, the master, okay? I'm just saying John knows some stuff. Okay, John's got some street cred. If Jesus is the one you're gauging it by, okay? That's John. He said God is love. What does that mean? Well, we have, then we have to think about, okay, well, what does love mean? All right? And it's going to tell us, but I, 
what I want to make sure I just say here real quick, and if you've been around me for five minutes, you've probably heard this, so I'm sorry for the repetition, but it's important. I can't make this case without making this distinction. The Bible doesn't say love is God. The Bible says God is love. And most of the time this gets us twisted up because the way we think about it is that love is God because we take our understanding, culturally conditioned, of course, of what love is, and then we project it onto God. And that's incredibly problematic because then what you're doing is fashioning a God in your own image, fashioning a God after your own likeness, fashioning a God in the way you prefer him to be. Okay, that's, that's a golden calf. That's not a God. Amen? Can't do that. So how do you discover? How do you figure out? If God is love, then that means I need, to, I need to get my definition from him. This is the word agape. Okay, again, part of our problem in modern day English is that we, we race to the bottom when it comes to language. We, we use hyperbole and and we, we search and try to stick words in places where they don't belong, almost, it's like to be funny almost, but it ends up degrading words of their meaning. It's, it's pitiful. And, and you're like, wow, you're kind of nerdy. Yeah, well, I wore a sweater vest to warn you, okay? So there you go. But the Greeks had, had a far better array of ways to describe affection, okay? And that's, I say the Greeks because this, primarily the New Testament is written in Greek. Uh, the, the Greeks had storge, which is like a, stol- a solid kind of steadfast, long-term committed love. They had phileo, which is like brotherly love. They had eros, which is like erotic, right? Like married people love. You know what I'm talking about? I think there's some kids in here. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, they, they had all these different ways, okay, to describe different types of affection. And then you don't really see the word agape crop up in ancient literature very much until the New Testament. There's this there's this sense that as the New Testament writers were, were trying to explain what, what the love of God is, it's, it's as if they, they knew they needed some different word to use because none of these other ones were going to be sufficient. And so when, when we're talking about love from a biblical, scriptural standpoint, the, the kind of love that is God, right? God is love. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about agape. So if I want to understand... Love from a biblical standpoint, from, from God's point of view. I'm hoping I've at least convinced you that if you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, and he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If, if, if you're following him and that's what he said, then we need to at least just take a minute and think, okay, what does that mean? What does, it, what does he mean I should love God? What does it mean that God loves me? What does it mean that God is love? This is... This is of paramount importance. I don't think that can be argued, okay? Well, thankfully, he explains it for us. It's, it's deep, complex, mysterious, and yet, in some ways, simple, okay? So, I read you verse 8. Uh, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, listen to me, by this, the love of God was manifested in us, shown to us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. What does God mean when he says love? Well, immediately he starts pointing to the example of Jesus. How do I understand this? Look to Jesus. In this is love. Okay, so more explanation of what he means. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our 
sins, the propitiation for our sins. How did he start that verse? In this is love. In this is love. He's explaining to us what love looks like. And he says the son was sent to be the propitiation of our sins. How many of you used propitiation in a sentence this week? None of you. Okay, let's work on that a second. That propitiation is <clears throat> easiest way to, simplest way. It can get more complicated, but we're not going to do it. It's, just, it's, it's like appeasing a deity, typically through sacrifice. Propitiation. So the, the deity's mad. We got to do something to toss something in the volcano or whatever, you know, whatever all the examples are. That's the idea of propitiation, okay? And th- this, this really angers some people today. There's a lot of people who don't like the idea that there was a sacrifice that Christ had to pay. Uh, they, they've kind of rewritten, <laughs> uh, I don't know, they're ignore- I don't know how they even get there, but that's, that's the reality for a lot of folks today. Pretty clear, John wasn't worried about using those words. And why? Why is he okay with saying that there was propitiation needed? That there's a wrathful God that needed to be propitiated? Why does John not shy away from that? Well, it's because our God does it wrong. See, or does it right. Other gods do it wrong. He, our God's the only one like this. Other gods, pick them, you know, look at any throughout history. They would say, they're and those you know, that purport their teachings, sacrifice to me your most precious thing to appease my wrath. That's how other gods would do it. Sacrifice your most precious thing to me to appease my wrath. This is how, in a lot of cultures, it ended up that children were sacrificed. This is how I'm going to prove my devotion to this deity. Okay? Our God instead said, I will sacrifice my most precious thing to appease my wrath. And then you can know it's safe to trust me. So that's, you put that in the catalog of your mind the next time you're having a conversation with someone and they say, oh yeah, Christianity and all other religions, they basically teach the same thing. Oh, no, no, no. No, they don't. It's very different. Okay? I want you to understand that God's, God's love is not it's not just what drew me into a relationship with Jesus. It's, it's also part of what keeps me and compels me. And I think it's supposed to be. And, and some may hear all of this about propitiation. You might think, okay, yeah, but still, why, why the wrath, man? Why can't God just love and forgive everybody? Why is there any wrath at all? If he's God, can he just make the choice? We got to think about this for a second. I try to think of an example. They always fall short especially when you're talking about real deep, spiritual, eternal things. But imagine, real quick, pull up the person you love the most in the world right now. Pull them up in your mind, okay? Got them? I didn't have enough time. We're in a hurry. Imagine that someone convinces the person you love the most that standing in the street blindfolded is the best possible thing for their health and general human flourishing. Someone comes along and convinces the person you love the most Standing in the street with a blindfold is the best thing for him, okay? And I know off the bat, this is a real dumb, kind of silly example, but so is our sin, (laughs) okay? Every time we sin, it's this dumb and ignorant. But are you calling me dumb and ignorant? Listen, buddy. 
Your sin is dumb and ignorant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Doesn't mean you are. But the, when, when we rebel against a God this good, it's very foolish. Okay, so someone convinces the person you love the most, go stand in the street with a blindfold. It's going to be really good for you. And they, they believe it. So you do your best. You try to explain to them, that isn't the case. That's not the case. You warn them over and over again. If they keep doing this, a car is going to come at some point and kill them. Okay, so you're doing your best to try to stop what they're doing. But then every time you look out the window, there they are again. Standing in the street, blindfolded. You keep running out, and you keep trying to pull them from the street. You, you drag them in the house, you lock the doors, but then they, they, they escape out the windows. They just won't stop. My question is, how long before you feel angry? At least at the fact that they were able to be convinced of this lie that's going to hurt them. I'd be worried if you weren't angry about that. It would mean maybe you don't actually love them that much. You see, those that think God's wrath is evidence that he can't be as loving as the scriptures say he is, just, just haven't thought about it quite long enough. If all the sin and brokenness and pain in the world did not make God angry, he couldn't be very loving. But here's the kicker. This, this example where I tried to get you to think of a person you love the most that keeps doing this and how frustrated you'd be, this is the position every one of us put God in with our sin. Every one of us has done this with him. And even though he has every right to let the car smash into us, instead, he pushes us out of the way and lets the car smash into him. Why? Because for some reason, in our stubborn ignorance, we wouldn't believe the consequences were real unless we saw the carnage inflicted upon him. Did you hear what I said? Because that was a big deal. See, people are like, why was there animal sacrifice in the Old Testament? That's weird. That's just like all the other pagan gods and stuff. What, what is the deal with all of that? Why does God want that? What's all the blood for? Part, the reason there was animal sacrifice and part of the reason why the sacrifice of Christ was so horrific was because we needed to see how terrible the consequences of sin are because we don't believe God when he just tells us. <laughs> We need to understand when he says sin leads to death, he's not being cute. It's real. I don't know if that's true. Well, the Bible says that the law was a tutor to teach us the very, this very lesson that we need God. And that sin is not to anything good or joyful for us. It's always going to lead to pain and death. And then there's some that will say, well, isn't that divine child abuse though? That God would send his son to go through that excruciating process? Friends, God's plan to redeem humanity was already laid out before he made humanity. God's plan to redeem humanity was laid out before he made humanity. And get this, Jesus was a part of the planning committee. John also can help us with this. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. The eternal counsel of God's will in eternity past that was cooking up this idea to create humans to love. If I would have had a vote at that table, I'd have been like, no! We're in good shape without these jokers. Especially if I had full 
timeless omniscience to look forward and see all the stuff that we were going to mess up. Been like, scratch that, new plan. But what does that say about the love of God, man? Is that real? Is that not a God that you can trust at least enough to step out of faith and say, all right, and to worship you? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what? The first thing I wanted to show you is that God is love. From these, The second, love is eternal. God has always been love. And he had perfect, uninhibited love between the three persons of the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, had perfect unity and love between themselves. What does that mean? That means when you hear someone say, God made us because he needed someone. But somehow he wanted us, even though he didn't need us. Which makes me love him that much more and trust him that much more. This means that the divine arithmetic had already been done. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit decided, they, you get to do this when you're God, they decided that having an eternal future of perfect loving relationship with us was worth all the pain and suffering we would cause, including the cross. The cross is not something that God the Father said, all right, Jesus the Son, divine child abuse, I'm going to force you into this. This is the co-eternal, co-equal Trinitarian Godhead deciding amongst themselves. People, and what we get at the end of this, the joy set before is what Jesus said. He went to the cross thinking about what? Us and him forever. (laughs) That's a good God. Understanding this is the only way to understand how the complex beauty of God's love is meant to affect how we live here and now. Okay. I've already mentioned that Jesus, when questioned on what is the greatest commandment, he said to love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and I just want to take a moment to, to point out that we get hung up. We have, especially in recent times, on that as yourself. I think we've misinterpreted that at times. But, but why? Why am I saying that? What, what does it mean to love ourselves properly? Do you understand the issue I'm bringing up? Jesus said to love God and love others as yourself. Okay, that's kind of the, the qualifier he gave. What does it mean to love ourselves properly, though? How are we supposed to do that? And how do we balance what Jesus said there with this warning in 2 Timothy 3? But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Did you hear the first one? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now Paul is warning Timothy, tough times are coming because in the last days, what's the first thing he says? People are going to be lovers of self. Uh-oh. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanders, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like a good list or a bad list to you? It's a bummer list. Okay, so now, now what do we do? How do we, Jesus said to love others as we love ourselves, but Paul lists here among a bunch of other really bad things, lovers of self. Uh-oh. Well, the gospel fixes it for us. The very heart of the gospel, hear me, is to admit that we are unlovely and unlovable on our own merits. 
That's at the very heart of the gospel. If you're offended by that and you don't understand what I'm saying, give somebody here, give me the chance to explain it further because I don't have time to really flesh that out right now. But the statement stands. At the heart of the gospel is us being able to admit we are unlovely and unlovable on our own merits. So what does that mean? That means if you're someone who thinks, well, yeah, sure, God loves me because you think you're good enough that he should, Friend, you're a legalist and your faith is misplaced. If you're someone here today who thinks, there's no way God loves me because you think you're so wretched that he can't, friend, you're a legalist and your faith is misplaced. Do you hear that? That's important. Both of those are true. So what does that mean? That means that searching for reasons to love yourself and personal affirmations ain't going to cut it. It's not going to get us to this. Not what we're talking about here. Not the God kind of love. Not the kind of love that would cause God to sacrifice his very most precious thing to have us. Do, do we see that in 1 John 4? 7 through 21? This, what is God? What, what, God is love. What is love? What does that mean? He points us to Jesus. He points us to the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. It's this idea of self-sacrificial giving. Putting myself low to raise others up. Making the needs of others more important than my own. And if me telling you that, that personal affirmations and searching for reasons to love yourself isn't going to cut it, it I, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm tipping over every, anyone's self-help golden calf, but the, the, here's, here's the bottom line statement. The proper way to love ourselves is by faith because Christ does. Because if you just do the self-affirmation thing, if you just do the, well, let me look for reasons the world would say I'm lovely and lovable, and you start to build that up, and then, yeah, yeah, you start to feel better about yourself, then you're in the second Timothy camp of lovers of self. That's not the way we want to do it. Properly loving ourselves so that it leads to the ability to love others. It's a, it's a love that comes by faith and trust in Christ and his love for me. It's, it's, a, it's a love for self that comes in an acknowledgement of the majesty and the great exaltation that Christ deserves as God and King over all things. One who can see the very depths of every human heart. The one whose vantage point spans eons in all of the ages of time, one with that kind of authority deciding he loves you. If he loves you, that means something. If he made you, that means something. And that is the only concrete place you can come from in having a love for yourself. Because if you start to build a list of all the reasons, these personal affirmations and all that type of jazz... What if, what if you start to not be good at something you were good at? What if you're really self-disciplined about certain things and you do a great job at this or that, but then you start to suck at it? This is my testimony sermon, okay? I can say suck if I want to. I see y'all shocked, like, oh my gosh, he's hurt off. The gloves are off today, amen? Because I love you, man. I really do. I mean it. And I at least half know what I'm saying. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. I am loved and lovely and lovable because he loves me, period. That's it. 
And so if I'm struggling in this, trying to fish for compliments on the internet or sit and try to think of all the reasons why, well, maybe really I am a good person. None of that's going to lead me to freedom from that darkness. Spending time thinking about why Jesus deserves the exalted place of authority that he has and why the fact that we are made in his image and that he loved us enough to die for us, what does that mean about what I am? Who I am? Thinking about that, spending more noodle time on that is what's going to bring you up out of that pit of despair. When we can trust in the love God has for us because we are made in his image and because we belong to him, when we love ourselves on those terms, it removes all the excuses, justifications, and barriers that stop us from truly loving others. You see, he said, love others as you love yourself. When your love for yourself comes from the right place, it allows you to love others the same way. I'm talking about justifications and barriers. What is that? That's all the reasons you can come up with. That I'm, I'm not, I'll love some people, but I'm not going to love that person. Because of, but when you understand that your value, worth, and your loveliness comes from the fact that Christ has loved you and made you in his image, then you can't hold that from other people. That's true for them too. Gets all the riffraff out of the way. Amen. The last point, I think I missed saying it, but here it is. I told you God is love. I told you that love is eternal. The last thing I wanted to make sure you saw here was that love must be shared. It's not God's love if it's not given. It has to be given. And the only investment I can make on this earth that will last for eternity, hear me, is in people. Everything else is gone. Everything else is going to get remade. People is the only thing I can invest in that's going to last for eternity. And so let's proceed accordingly. You know, the, the Apostle John, uh, church, church history says, this, this isn't in the Bible, but um, so if you need to take it with a grain of salt, it, it, it resonates with me and I don't have any struggle believing that it's true. But, you know, John was the one apostle that didn't die as a martyr. He was boiled in oil, but it didn't kill him. And it's, it's said that late in his life, he got real old and feeble. The young men, the deacons in the church, would go grab Pastor John, and they would carry him in. And uh, he would still preach sermons, but he was so weak and feeble that many times the, the entire sermon would be, little children love each other. That's all he could get out. And uh, I'm not trying to put myself on John's level, but man, when I get old and feeble, somebody carry me in here so I can say, little children, love each other. Because at the end of the day, that's what we need. Can we pray? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Um, Lord, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you for these scriptures. I thank you for uh, your great grace and mercy in my life. I thank you for the opportunity to... Uh, stand before this, this family of believers and uh, to share the goodness, the grace, the mercy uh, that you've seen fit to pour into my life. I, I just want to thank you, Lord. Uh, I want to thank you for all the times that I can see right now with, with hindsight as I look back, as I see 
your divine orchestration as I see you working all things for my good and for your glory uh, and for the good of those that I would encounter later in life. Um, I thank you for that, Lord. And, and I want to thank you for the times that I can't see. I know there's a bunch of stuff I can perceive and I know there, there has to be a, an innumerable number of other factors that you worked in your great sovereignty uh, to accomplish your will. And so um, I thank you. With, with everything that was working against it, it being the case, you did what was necessary um, to save me <laughs> and to overwhelm me with your love and, uh, and to give me the great privilege now of teaching your scriptures to others and, and pouring into the life of others. Thank you, Lord, um, that when we pour, you always fill, <laughs> that we can't outgive you, uh, that your generosity is, is never-ending, that and so is your patience and your mercy and your kindness. Thank you that your desire, Lord, is for us. Um, thank you that in eternity past, you saw all the pain that we would cause, uh, but you also were able to look forward to eternity future and, and the prize at the end of us and you forever. For you, Lord, it was worth this middle part. And, and we know, Lord, that each of us, we, we've all felt the effects of sin. We've all felt the brokenness of pain and suffering as a result of this world not being as it should. We've, we've felt it, Lord, but we know that you've felt it to a degree far greater than we could ever possibly conceive because we're all aware of our own brokenness. We're aware of the brokenness around us. And now we're aware of brokenness around the world because of news and, 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 and technology, but, but Lord, you, at the, at the very micro level of every human heart, you're aware of the pain and suffering that sin causes. And you're a good father. And we know that it hurts you. Thank you for still loving us and not giving up on us. And thank you for allowing us the great privilege of working alongside you to share the good news. The people were made by you for you. And that you love them and you want them. You've made it possible through Christ. Thank you for all of that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www dot mylovecitychurch.org